Monday, January 2nd, and this is Season 7, Episode 17 of the Four Star Spurs Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week is Lucas. How we doing? And John. Lovely to be with you, as always, and a very happy new year to all of you out there. It is a happy new year, despite Spurs' efforts, I think, to ruin our new year, and and that's what we're going to have to roll into with this uh, first conversation. So we were coming into Villa... Um, we had had kind of a disappointing draw, but we're going back home. I think there was a little bit more confidence against Villa than there had been against, uh, uh, Brentford, uh, on Boxing Day. Um, and we had some questions with, uh, availability of players. And I think the one that probably caught us off guard most was Kulishevsky being unavailable uh, due to like kind of a last minute injury that none of us really know the details of how it happened at this point. Um, that was the big loss for this one. Um, but still a team that you would think that we should be able to handle, especially in the home environment. But it didn't really work out that way. It was... We kind of came out, came out of the gates hard, and then uh, it, it kind of calmed down and got a little bit uh, um, lacking in effort. And then maybe the last few minutes of the second half, we picked it up again. But ultimately, this this game just did not go Spurs' way. And, and now I think the Spurs community in general is just very frustrated and unhappy right now. Um, I'm gonna let's let's tackle this game and I'll I'll start with Lucas to or or John you have your hand up uh, let's uh, let's start with John for this one. Yeah, well, I, after the last game at Brentford, we all said, look, we've got two different Spurs sides here, one that plays in the first half and one that plays in the second half, and we really want the team to play the same in both halves. Well, amazingly, they did that against Aston Villa. Sadly, it was the first half team that played in the first half and the first half team that played in the second half. So we had a double whammy. But I, like you, um, I was thinking we know what we can do. We know we've done it in the second half a lot of times. Um, Surely by now we will learn that we can do that from the beginning. And we've got to learn how to do that. And it can't be that bloody difficult. And yet it didn't happen at all. And I'm enormously frustrated because simply for that matter we've shown how good we can be we've played some fabulous football with the players that they've got now let's not uh, you know i know we're going to talk about who do we need in and who do we not need in but with the players that we've had now we put together some fabulous performances um back aston villa was pathetic on all fronts And that, to me, was a big disappointment over and over again. I mean, I've been disappointed about the first halves in the the past, but we put it together. So you think, well, sooner or later, we're going to play like that in both halves. And uh, we did play the same in both halves, but badly. So that's my that's my initial take on uh, on things. What about you, Lucas? Well, I, I think for me, like one of the frustrating things comes from how inept we look without just one or two key players. And I know with, with you're always going to be, if you have some of your better players missing, like that's always going to affect the way you look 
Um, I mean, if you take Harry Kane away from the side, you would expect us to not look as good as when you have Harry Kane in the side or stuff like that. So I, I get that, but it it should be to an extent. It, it shouldn't be to the extent that it is with us where you take away Benson Carr and you take away Kulichewski and all of a sudden we look like a team that has no clue what they're supposed to be doing. It was, uh, I mean, there was a stat that came up in uh, on the NBC broadcast for everyone here in the States watching that was probably watching on Peacock. The stat came down that said it was the 18th minute and it said Harry Kane is the only player on the pitch from either side that hasn't touched the ball yet. I mean, 18 minutes in and Harry Kane has not is the only player on the pitch without a touch. Like, that's a massive problem. I, I don't know how you have one of the best players in Europe and no one even knows how to get him the ball. He doesn't know. It's just, we were so inept without Kulichevsky. It's, it's staggering. And I think that as, as soon as we saw that lineup come out, that was probably something that popped into our heads was we were all probably really nervous about that. And we were all probably thinking, I know I was, I was thinking how I, my first thought was, all right, how are we going to facilitate any creativity and any chances going forward? And I think we saw in that first half um, just that, that we did absolute lack of any kind of creativity going forward. And I think like you had mentioned, John, with Villa being just as bad, that was one of the more frustrating parts as well is despite us being as poor as we looked, it wasn't as if Villa created anything in that first half that was even resembling a chance going forward against us. So it's just, if we had a little bit, a little bit more juice going forward, it would, I mean, we could have had that game wrapped up by halftime. But at the same time, Lucas, we, they, they doubled our shots. They doubled our shots on target and we had almost 60% of the possession and we still couldn't make it work. So, yeah, they were bad, but they they still did more than we did. Uh, John, I jumped on you. No, that's okay. I was going to go back to a point that Lucas made about Kane not um, getting the ball. Um, his great provider is, is uh, Son, isn't it? Well, Son's having a bad patch. Um, he got caught in possession more often than he should have done um, against Villa. His last pass wasn't as good as it has been. And so the great provider isn't providing. And I think that's having an impact on Son's ability, on uh, Kane's ability. But having said that, the rest of the midfield should have been thinking about getting the ball to him. And they didn't seem to have a clue about how to get the ball to him. Um, and yes, we'll talk a little bit about the lineup in a bit, I understand. Um, but I'm not going to put the blame on the fact that we had some players out. We've invested in this squad. We've put a lot of money into the squad. I think we have world-class players. And against Villa, everybody that was out there, I think, is a world-class player. They just played like a Sunday afternoon player. Um and that, that to me, is, is, is the issue. These people are capable of playing some fantastic football. They're just not doing it. Well, is there a certain point where we have to blame the, the coach for this? I mean, we, talk, we talked last week about Basuma's performance, and I don't think it was any better this, this week. Um, 
we, we talk about a guy that w- was devastating the league, like uh, when he was playing for Brighton and he just kind of had like a open system where he could just do his thing. He could dribble the ball. He could uh, t- take a man on. Um, and now it seems like all that skill has been coached out of him. Um, and I don't want to bl- not blame the player at all, but the, there's a certain element like where what these specific players are being asked. Are, are we at the point where it, it, is Conte just so married to this system that like even though the players might perform better in a different system, he's not willing to make that change? And I understand this is a system that can win you leagues and things like that, that it, you can grind out the results, you can you you, you can be in that place at the end of the year, but we're not in that anywhere close to that place right now. And right now we just need to start winning games and, and maybe that is a change of system and get the most out of these players. Yeah. I think uh, in general, there are two types of coaches. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot more than that, but there are coaches that say, this is my system. We will play this system no matter what players we've got because it's the best system. And, um, we need players to play this system. So even if they're great players, they're still going to play in this system. And then we have the other type of coach that says, boy, I've got some great players and they play really well if they play like this. So he lets them play like this. Conte is obviously one of the former. And I think it's really biting him at the moment, because as I mentioned before, we've got world-class players out there who are playing like chumps. And if, there has to be a reason for that. And I think that there is a good um, shout out to say that they're being forced to play a format that they don't like. And we all know what what happens when we're told to do something we don't like. We don't do it very well. Um, so uh, when it comes down to it, I think um, Conte should take some blame about this result and about the poor performances that we've had for periods in the past games yeah yeah but i i also understand the other side of the argument that we bought this coach because he's a winner and he wants to play a certain way so we got to give him the tools to 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 play that way to to get us the results um but we obviously didn't do enough in the summer window and we'll talk about the upcoming window in the second half but um, we obviously didn't do enough in the summer window to give him the tools that he needs. So at what point do we become flexible and, and say like, okay, well, we just have to do what we need to do to get by until we can get bring in those players that can allow that system to be played. Um, where do you fall on this, Lucas? Like, I, I, I know we're both Conte supporters, but we... Um, we, ha- we have to question, like, the results aren't there. And we're sticking with the system. I, yeah. And to, for me, it just, it seems like it's just something's clearly off in the sense that, because I think you're absolutely right in the sense that, yes, Conti needs, like, you can't make bricks or you can't make bricks without clay. Like, he needs to have certain pieces for his system to run the way that he's had it run where he's winning the league and he's winning different trophies. It's, he needs certain guys in his system to perform a certain way. But that being said, there's something clearly off because it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a, it's like a zero or a hundred. 
It shouldn't be that because these are some world class players, as John had mentioned. It shouldn't look this bad against a really poor Aston Villa side at home off the back of a pretty poor effort against Brentford. So it shouldn't be this difficult for some of these players to get some kind of positive results going like against what, again, is a pretty bad Villa side. So that's what I don't understand is there's clearly something off in the sense that it shouldn't be either you're the best team in the world or the worst team in the world. There should be some kind of performances where, yes, we don't have the perfect Conti system players yet, but he should still be able to get some kind of production out of guys like a Basuma or uh, even Brian Hill, I thought was underwhelming and Hoybeer wasn't very good going forward either. So it's and sun's looking horrible this year. So I, I don't know what's happening this season where we all just it, it, collectively as a unit, we're just seeing again, poor performance after poor performance. And again, now that's what, we haven't we've scored uh, or we've allowed the opposition to score first now in every game since October 15th. Yeah, I think it's the last nine games or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's just I don't know how we're not getting some kind of kick up the ass and seeing some kind of different results out of these. What John had said are actually very good players. Yeah, let's think about the defense for a while. Let's talk about it for a while. The defense he took over, he was playing four at the back. And they were doing pretty well. And then he switched to his favoured three in the back. And defensively, we were very sound. Very, very sound. We weren't letting goals in. And that three at the back, despite the fact I was a bit concerned that we were, um, you didn't have that fourth player at the back. But three at the back, he was doing really well. He found a new role for Davis. Dyer was playing well. And then uh, Romero came in. And yeah, it was it was working well and we weren't giving up goals. And we haven't changed any of those players. I mean, against Brentford, we did Dan Romero and Tanganga was off. Um, I, I don't understand when Conti says he's not playing anybody that has any kind of an issue or any kind of an injury, he's going to save them. And yet he puts Tanganga in. Tanganga doesn't do very well. And he said, oh, well, he was suffering from a foot problem. Well... I thought you said you weren't going to play players that had injury issues. So he kind of threw Tanganga under the bus, I think, a little bit there. And he didn't have a good game. His first game in a year, for goodness sake. Um, Don't expect miracles. But the defence he inherited, the players that he inherited, were capable of doing a very strong um, defensive job. Same players giving goals away like a sieve. Um, you you with me on that, Lucas? Yeah. No, uh, well, go ahead, Lucas. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. And I just, for me, there's so many guys that, and I, I mentioned this last week on the pod too, it's just such a dangerous way of playing when you, you need everything to be perfect at the back and you, everyone's, you can't, nobody can make a mistake defensively or Hugo can't make a mistake when we're going to be playing this poorly going forward, because all it takes is, I, I think we hadn't, it was right before halftime. I had said, wow, that was the first time we had seen Hugo in 45 minutes when they had some, they had something kind of like a small chance going forward. And it was the first time Hugo had had to do something in a long time. And then right into that second half, that one guy whips a, like a 35 yard shot 
out of nothing, Hugo spills it. And sure enough, it's a tap in. So it's, and all of a sudden, instead of us kind of trying to grow into the game and try and get some momentum going forward to try and find that breakthrough goal, we're now sitting there down one nil and everything goes tits up. So it, it when you play the way we've been playing, it puts all of this pressure on us defensively where no one can make a mistake. And this is the Premier League. It, like Man City saw this against Everton the other night where all Everton needed was one shot and they pop up. Damari Gray gets a goal and it's a 1-1 draw. So it's this is the Premier League. Everyone's going to be able to create some kind of chance for themselves in a 90-minute period. And we can't we can't continue to have this be our, our game plan. Is just, well, let's hope that our defensively, like no one's allowed to make a single mistake because if they do, like we're screwed. Yeah, well, and, and on Hugo, it really is becoming concerning. I mean, and there is a man that has saved so many goals for us. I'm sure that there's so many points that that man has saved in his time at Spurs. Like, I'm not going to be negative about him but this year it's becoming a little bit concerning. Like uh, he's, he's made a several errors that have led to lost drop points. And, and now we're at, at the point where what is the problem? Like, and it might be just age. He might be just losing that little, little bit. Um, but we probably should have, bought his replacement two years ago and started working that person into the squad. So by now we would have somebody that would be a suitable replacement. And I like Frazier Forrester. He's fine. He's English. He can do a job, but he's not like a Hugo replacement. And we, and we haven't made that move yet. John. Well, I think if you look at the goal and everybody's putting a lot of blame on Hugo in there, there's more blame to go around, quite honestly. Yes, he spilt the shot, but the, their forward that ran through and took the um, rebound had two defenders standing slightly in front of him. One was Longley, and I'm not sure who the other one was. Neither of them reacted to the fact that he palmed the, palmed the shot. If they had moved as soon as the shot was made, and then Hugo spilled it, they'd have cleared it out of the way. There was no doubt in my mind. But if you look at how slow they were to respond to the fact that Hugo spilled it, um, there was some definite non, you know, they weren't on the ball, if you'll pardon the pun. They weren't really on the ball there. I mean, particularly Langley was in the middle. Um, As soon as the guy got the ball back, he was trying to defend. But had he moved forward, to maybe anticipate that Hugo is going to spill it, it wouldn't have been a problem. So I don't think we can put all the blame on Hugo. Um, as we talk about There was him, ball watching there. You definitely, like, yeah. those players were just looking at, at it happen and they didn't do anything. No. Uh, and I, I, I think the other one may have been Ramiro too. Like, like yeah. Ramiro could have jumped in there as well. And they, they just kind of, I think they were just so shocked that Hugo didn't just, jump on the ball and, and end the play that, yeah. that they didn't react. But you need to be a defender. You need to be heads up enough to start making a reaction as soon as uh, something goes wrong. Well, a defender has to make that move every single time. And yeah. it's probably a waste of time nine times out of ten. But he has to make that move every time. 
Um, as far as Hugo's concerned, um, we got him for the season. There's nothing. I don't believe that we're going to bring a replacement goalkeeper in, in, in January that will take over from Lloris because I think he's the goalkeeper that we bring in is going to have to spend a little time under Lloris. So Lloris is here for the year. And I think he's a perfectly, I don't think he's part of the problem. I think he's a perfectly good um, World Cup silver winning goalkeeper who, you know, is past his prime, but not much, but not much, not as much to throw him under the bus. Um, I think that we will have a different keeper next season. But for now, I think we've got him. And if we're looking to him as being part of the problem, I think... We're looking in the wrong direction. The, well, the I, failure I, doesn't. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry. no, you carry on, mate. Well, I was going to say I was more concerned about the attack in this one anyway. Like, yeah, the defense, like making the same errors that we've been getting, but like we couldn't make anything happen in attack here. I mean, only two shots on target, like despite the fact that they were Villa was sitting back and, and essentially parking the bus from the beginning of the match. I, I'm concerned that we don't have any way to break a team down, and and and, the, and Aston Villa has just set set said to the league, this is how you play Spurs from now on, and and I don't see how we're going to get out of that without Kulishevsky, uh available, unless we make a, a a major creative player purchase this uh, this window. Well, we need to look at if we're going to look at the, all of the aspects of the team. And we need to look seriously about the midfield too. Um, midfield seems to want to come back and defend. Um, does not seem to have the ability to move forward and attack. Um, Basuma was tripping over his feet all day. Hobier had an off day. Uh, as far as the wingbacks are concerned, I thought the uh, Dodi had a reasonable game. And Petrovic had, uh, had a fairly decent game. Um, but it's not it's the middle of the midfield where we're lacking in creativity and lacking the ability to get to the forward, the ball to the forwards. So, um, again, you've got to look to me, you've got to look at all aspects of this game and see really where are we failing? And I think the midfield is the area, quite honestly, if you get if you get Kane the chance, he'll score a goal. If you don't give him any chances, obviously, he's not going to score. And who's responsible for getting him the chances? It's the midfield. And uh, I really, I really think we've got, um, I think we really, really think we've got some problems there. As you mentioned earlier, Basuma was allowed the free reign of the pitch and was a world beater. Now we're up asking him to do something slightly different. And he's looking like, uh, you know, Muppet. So, yeah. and again, we were short of a couple of midfielders as well. Um, we have a very good, attacking midfield option in skip but Conte does not appear to want to play anyone that hasn't had at least 100 games experience um well in, thinking the same thing about Spence and skip is more defensive though I mean like we haven't seen him contributing much to the attack but I think we're going to have to see him uh and we'll talk about the Crystal Palace match coming up but like I think we're going to have to see him uh, with Basuma unavailable after his yellow card accumulation that he got in this match. Uh, Lucas? Well, and like, yeah, you just mentioned there the yellow card thing. That's another astounding stat for me, at least, how on Basuma this year. I, 
he's he has more yellow cards than he does starts in the Premier League, which is just yeah. it, that's a shock. How, how he's suspended for yellow cards is just shocking. But yeah, I think we saw with Skip when Skip came on, it's just Skip seems to have a he seems to be one of the only people in the midfield that has that that instinct to want to carry the ball forward. We saw on numerous like numerous times on uh, this weekend's game where just guys would pick the ball up in the midfield. And like you had mentioned, Anthony, Villa was giving us the space. Villa was parking the bus saying, go ahead, take all of the space if you want to use it. We're not going to stop you until you get towards the or towards the final third. And we, we still showed such hesitation to actually want to move the ball into space. And that's what you should be doing as the midfield. You should be driving the ball into space until someone stops you. And, and that and that is what Skip is very good at is exactly is distribution forward um, to the wing backs or to the forwards is excellent, and that's what we need, as you say, Luke. It's, yeah, uh, and that's what. So I'm excited to see him get a crack out there on on Wednesday. I'm assuming it didn't look like uh, Benton Kerr is going to be back. Um, so I'm there's, just, there's a chance it could be Sar, though. Uh, we'll get to that when we talk about Crystal Palace, but. I mean, Sar had a pretty good uh, run out, like even though it was very short. And uh, uh, apparently, Conte liked his performance a lot. Like, and he the, he's been saying very negative things about Skip. Uh, and we'll certainly talk about the uh, post match interview a little bit with uh, with Conte and 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 some of the things that went on there. But um, yeah, and but and that's kind of where we'll that's kind of where we'll see on Wednesday is is what, what do we do different? Because, I mean, we can't keep running these same performances out week in and week out. It's We've seen the same thing time after time after time with these guys that have been out there. So, I mean, we can't just run the same thing out there against Crystal Palace and expect it to look any different than it did against Brentford or Villa. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what changes he wants to make. But, I mean, we can't keep putting the same underwhelming sides out there especially I think that was probably the most frustrating part for me is some of the effort from these guys after after what was a really disappointing result against Brentford I think we slept walk through 70 minutes of that game against Brentford and I was hoping I was telling myself the excuse was that ah you know it was our first game back from the World Cup break like all the guys weren't used to playing together it took it's going to take some time for us to get back like we'll have a better performance against Villa at home and then we came out, we did the exact same thing, which was, I think, probably the most disheartening part. So it'll be interesting to see what changes we can make. But, I mean, you're going to have to see different types of rotation and get different guys involved. Maybe that is Spence. Maybe that is Skip. we, we got to see something different. Can't just keep expecting to change with the same 11 out there. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Let's not discount Brentford. I mean, they demolished Liverpool today. Um, I don't know if you saw the game, but oh yeah, uh, it was what three one I think it was three like, three one win, and they were worthy winners. And so, uh, you know, maybe you look at our two two draw with Brentford with different eyes now. Um, I don't, because if we'd have played the same way we played in the second half against them in the first half, we would have beaten them easily. So again, that says something about our form. But Brentford are a good side, good tidy side, and they really stuck it to Liverpool, who historic. You know, they've got a good. They've got a great team out there. Let's not, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. Let's go to MVP, LVP here. So let's start with Lucas and go with MVP. 
MVP. Man, this is tougher than I thought. Um, I honestly don't know if anybody really stood out for me. Um, I thought Sun was poor. I thought the midfield was poor. Nobody on the wings looked very strong. Um, I thought Perisic had a nice few moments, but, I mean, he also gave the ball away several times. Um, yeah, I'm going to pass. I got no one. I got no one that really stood out as an MVP. Yeah, like I, I was actually just started going through the – in my head who I could pick, and I, I can't pick anybody. It really is tough. Uh, like all three defenders got um, – got – carded um in the first half (laughs) yeah in the first half sort of dubiously in some cases but but still nonetheless you were making challenges it's tough to pick anybody uh um and you let two goals in uh john do you have anybody for mvp well it's very very difficult to give anybody a best player in a game where the team was pathetic however i'm going to go out on a limb here and i'm going to give it to Saar. The 10 minutes, he he was only on the field for 10 minutes plus overtime. I understand that. But he really looked like he was he wanted to play out there. So a little bit against the uh, the norm here, not picking a starter. But if any, if we're going to give anybody it, I think Saar's performance when he came on as a sub was worthwhile. Yeah, I agree with you. And, like, uh, I think I would pick Saar as well. And, and just to add to that, like, I would, would say um, – Certainly, there was a certain element that the, Conte was sending a message to Spurs that they need to to back him and buy players here uh, when he made these substitutions. When clearly, like what what wasn't working with the first team, he just brought in all the backup players, and, and he was trying to say, "See, this isn't going to do change anything. This isn't going to improve us. I don't have w- what I need to." to pull off the bench and, m- and make the changes and, and do something different. Um, but I think Saru is kind of the exception to that. Like, I mean, Spence didn't really have much t- uh, enough time to really show us much of anything, but, um, but Saru did uh, look pretty good in the, the, t- the time that he had. Um, I think that's a good shout, so I'd take him as well. Um, uh, let's go to LVP. This one might be a little bit easier to pick. Uh, Lucas? Yeah, for me, it's Basuma again. Um, with a special shout to Sun. But, um, but again, it's it's hard to blame Sun when he and Kane up top, they need the facilitation from the midfield, and we just don't have it. And I think that, I mean, there's not uh, – there's probably – you could pick half a dozen guys that could be up for LVP, but for Basuma again, it's just against a team that parks the bus like that. We had so much space and opportunity for him to drive the ball forward and get a little aggressive. And I think that we're just not seeing that Basuma that we bought for that ability to dominate games in the Premier League. It's that proven experience we've seen from him. And we're just seeing again, underwhelming performance after underwhelming performance from him. Yeah. 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 I th- I think you're wrong when you say it's easier to pick the LVP. I think it's more difficult because I think it could go to anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I look, you go down the list. Larice, yeah, he could get it. Um, Longley, yeah, for his error. Davis was average. Romero didn't have a very good game. Hobier was worse than he'd been in a while. Basuma was terrible. Um, Perisic did okay. Um, 
and you know Matt Doherty did okay um Kane and Son were non-existent because they weren't getting any um they weren't getting any ball and Brian Gill uh, he worked away he still looks lightweight to me um and I, I don't mean to be terribly critical critical of people that are that weight but playing in the premiership you need a bit of heft and particularly when the field gets heavy and it's raining so out of that lot who who was the worst of the worst uh basuma <laughs> but with a lot of honorable mentions for the worst yeah well i i'll defend brian hill i don't think he looked that bad when he had the ball he actually tried things he took would t- try and take on a man a little bit and yes, I think there is like the like I want that guy to go, go to the weight room and just work out for like uh, j- just start benching like uh, like 500 pounds a day or something like that for like 20 reps. But um, I don't think he was th- that bad, to be honest. Um, <sighs> Basuma, I certainly agree with, but I'm going to say son. And the thing with son, like he wasn't playing well. And then he had that moment where he ripped off the uh, the goggles, uh, protecting his eyes. I'm like, wow, here he is. He's like, that that's inhibiting him. Now we're going to get the real son. And nothing changed. Like, uh, you know, he was giving the ball away in, in stupid places. He uh, When he did get the ball, and, and granted, I admit he had to drop back further to try and collect it. And, uh, like, he still wasn't doing anything with it. He was too late to let loose of his passes, which I think um, is more of a Lucas thing. Like, uh, like we're used to Lucas like dribbling into space and and uh, beating a man, beating a man, then getting stopped by the third man because he looks down. Like Sun's usually the guy that pulls the trigger at the right time, and he wasn't pulling the trigger at the right time in any of these circumstances. I got to give him my LVP in this one, like. I feel bad, like he's coming off the back of uh, um, a golden boot winning year, and maybe our expectations were just too high for for him coming into this year. But he's just been off, um, and he didn't seem off during the World Cup. Like he did pretty well for Korea, so it makes me wonder, like, why is he off for us now? And and maybe it's just service, but I I need to. I need to see more from Son. Uh, yeah, and the other, th- yeah, the other thing about Son is he was the one that lost possession in the middle of the field that led to their second goal. Um, he got caught in possession. They took it away from him, and then his effort to get the ball back was non-existent. And suddenly they were moving forward. Um, but again, the number of times he's caught in possession are very, very few. Uh, lately, it's been a lot more, and yeah, I think you're right, mate. That's, uh, but particularly, yeah, he was. I think it was his loss of possession that was the call, the initial cause of that second goal. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I think this is a good place to go to half. The second half, we are going to have to talk a little bit about everything that's flying around the uh, the universe right now related to Spurs. There's a lot of skies falling t- conversation going on out there. Uh, a lot of Conti out, a lot, uh, a lot of Enoch and uh, Levy um, out conversation, which there was that chance at the end of this match, uh, the, uh, Levy out. 
uh, that went across the stadium. Not the first time, but it was probably the loudest from what I'm hearing. Um, we'll have to talk about all that stuff. We'll have to talk about what, what to do in this transfer window, uh, where we're at with backing Conte, some of Conte's uh, post-match interview and what he's saying about things. Um, and we do have two matches to preview, both Crystal Palace in the league and the FA Cup match against Portsmouth, which will probably just gloss over those two. So a lot to talk about in the second half, but first we are going to go to Luke's Locks. Luke's Locks! All right, first up here on Luke's Locks, we have Wednesday. We're going to take over two and a half goals in the Leeds game at home against West Ham. Leeds are always up for it at home and look to get aggressive going forward, whereas West Ham are very desperate for points after a couple of poor performances to start the restart after the break. So I think we'll see an open game and a lot of opportunity for goals. So take over two and a half goals in Leeds at home to West Ham. Next up, we're going to take under two and a half goals in the Crystal Palace game at home versus Spurs. I expect Spurs to tighten up a little bit defensively after a pair of poor defensive performances against Brentford and Villa. Um, I also, unfortunately, not to sound too pessimistic, but I have a difficult time imagining where we're going to get any goals coming from unless we have a resurgence of Bentoncourt and Kulachevsky getting put back into the lineup. But So I don't see us getting many opportunities for goals. I don't see Palace having many opportunities for goals, so under two and a half goals in that one is the only play. Third and finally, we're only having three this week. Third, we're going to have Man City minus a half goal away at Chelsea on Thursday. Man City is trying to stay close to Arsenal at the top of the table and will be desperate for a good result off the back of dropping points at home to Everton. To look for City to be aggressive and clinical going forward and get a comfortable win on the road at Chelsea. So take City minus a half goal in that one on Thursday. There you have it. There's your free money of the week. Let's go get rich, kids. Well, thanks as always, Lucas. I want to start the second half uh, with our uh, one listener question. Um, so the so it comes from Shubes uh, on Facebook. And Shubes asks us, uh, what would taste worse for you, Malort or Arsenal winning the league? And I'm going to tackle that one myself and just say that um, I would drink a whole bottle of Malort to prevent Arsenal from winning the league. Um, but unfortunately, I don't think all the Malort in the world will would prevent that from happening. I think only Manchester City can prevent that from happening. And I, and I think at this point, like as much as I want Spurs to be there and in the conversation, like uh, we're going to need Arsenal to start falling off and. Um, other teams to start playing better. And I think it's got to be Man City is the only one that we can have to defeat them at this, at this point, they've got a bit of a lead, but a lot can happen in the second half. So we'll hope for the best there, but um, I'll, I'll down all the more in the world. If it, if it prevents it, like Lucas, you want to jump in there? Well, yeah. And I think that's actually uh, one of the things about that is I, I think that's one of the reasons why we're as frustrated as we are with the way we've been playing and the results we've had this season. I mean, if Liverpool and City were do, like if Liverpool and City were doing it out right now at the top of the table, 
and we were having the results that we're having right now and the problems that we're having, we would still be frustrated because it seems to be a step back from last year. But I don't think we'd be as frustrated as we are without it being Arsenal at the top. I think that's really compounding the the frustration from Spurs fans right now is that we are having we're having all these problems and it just happens to be them at the top winning game after game, playing flawless football and looking like a well-oiled machine. So I think because it's Arsenal that adds a lot of panic and frustration into us as Spurs fans right now because they've seemed to really turn it around and get things moving in the right direction. And we've actually taken a step back this year. Yeah, I wouldn't call it panic, but the only people that can beat Arsenal right now, uh, for the league title is Arsenal. Um, if they continue to play as they're playing, then they'll win the title. Um, if they get injuries and for whatever reason get an off spell then yeah there are pretenders if you like Manchester City is a, is there as a pretender but uh yeah it's really it, the only the only thing that can beat Arsenal for the title this year is Arsenal themselves okay well the rest of Shub's question is jokes aside quite a few at the game said Conte looked bereft of ideas of how to change things Injuries to key players have not helped. Always a risk that players can get injured, especially given a mid-season tournament. Should we have brought in more players in the summer as a precaution? And if so, who do you blame for this not happening? Uh, Conte for wanting a tight squad, 24 to 26 players, or Enoch and other uh, clubs are ramping up their spending, not releasing enough funds to deepen our squad with players Conte is ready to trust now. Um, I think this Shub's question is, uh, has a lot there, but I think uh, it's a good place to kind of roll into this transfer talk, Conte talk, because um, it really is tied together right now. We're, we're stuck in this position where Conte wants players that are ready now uh, but now he's started to come out and say, like, oh, uh, you, Tottenham is uh, a team that, that builds for the future. And he, he sounds accepting of that. But certainly he hasn't re-upped his contract to show that he's accepting of that. Um, do we have the wrong coach for the uh, the right coach for the wrong team? Is is this... Uh, is is this the issue or like uh, Conte wa- wants players for for now that can just fall right into his system and do a job and we got that last win- window but was there enough done in the, the the summer we brought in a lot of players but were they the right players to to, to perform for Conte so lot lot there but like John we'll, we'll let you tackle this first well uh, there were uh... By the way, hi, Shoops. Hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. Um, there were a lot of questions in his question. The first was, was Conte uh, unable? or did, Was he lacking in ideas because we had a squad that he had to put together? Um, I think, yes, he was. Um, he had a very puzzled look on his face a lot of the time. And uh, I think if things, if he believes it's going to go a certain way, and it sets it out that way. If it doesn't go that way, then he's puzzled as to how to solve it. Now, having said that, we've all been talking about the two forward injuries. In fact, it's three. Because not only are we uh, without uh, Richa- um, Richarlison and 
Kuleski were also without Lucas because he is injured and he would make a difference if, in what the way that he's been playing. So can any team say that having five top class forwards is enough or not enough? I would say five's pretty darn good, but we got three down right now. So that's a, um, I would think that would be unexpected in any squad. Um, so having said that, we spent a lot of money in the in the summer. We were, I think, the third or the fourth highest net spender of all of the teams. Um, there are people that saying, well, we only spent um, 120 million. Should we have spent 170 million like two or three of the other clubs did? Well, only if you get the right players. I mean, it's not like going into a supermarket and picking the, something off the shelf and putting it in your cart and going away. I mean, you, your players got to want to come. The, there's wage factors and everything else. It's very difficult to bring top-class players in. Um, and I think we did a good job of bringing top-class players in. Obviously, some money has been put into that, and we're being told that in January there's money to play with. So then let's go on to the last question. Who's at fault here? Um, I hear... Levy and Ennick come up a lot. Now let's try and see what uh, Levy's done wrong. He built a beautiful stadium. He's made money available for transfer in the summer. He's making more money available for transfer now. Uh, admittedly, there was a time when we didn't have money for transfer. Um, ground was closed. We weren't making revenue. I mean, you can, a business standpoint, you can understand that. So where exactly is the criticism for Levy coming from. Um, to me, he's doing his job as a, uh, the money manager. He's making sure the revenue's coming in. He's making it available for transfer. Uh, so, yeah. And then people are yelling Enoch out. What exactly have they done or haven't done that's going to make a difference in this team? Um, investments there, obviously. Um, is Enoch coming down and telling Conte that he should play a different system and make it better? Of course he isn't, neither is Levy. So I, I find it ridiculous that um, that Levy and Enoch are being criticised this um, because of this. Anthony? I, I think it's more like of a media thing. Like uh, Media loves to portray Levy, Enoch, as a as the villain, and they they love to portray this. Uh, they're not going to spend. They're not going to like nobody knows what really what they're willing to open up. But like the rumors start to fly. Oh, it doesn't look like they're going to spend this uh, summer, or we're going to go for young players that need some work instead of players that can fit into Conte's system right now. And it, it just drums up the drama and I guess we don't know until the end of this window um, but I can understand why fans after a match like this are looking for a villain but I think it is a bit of a reaction to the now uh, like you're 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 taking the what happened now and turning it into the big picture instead instead of the small picture Lucas yeah I agree I think it's just Enoch and Levy are the easiest scapegoats so it's it's something you don't want to it, – it's easy to look at them like the big bad villains sitting up on their ivory tower where somebody like Conti, who we sing about and we love and we love his passion and his enthusiasm for Spurs, like we 
we're going to have a lot less. It's going to be a lot more difficult for us to try and point the finger at Conti when you can point the finger at Levy and Enoch. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot of knee jerk reaction. People are unhappy with the way we're playing and it's just easier to blame them. But like John had mentioned, we spent a lot of money in the summer and we brought in what seven players. So yeah, I think part of Shubh's question was, are we buying is, were we, did we spend well enough in terms of getting guys in now as opposed to for the future? But it's really difficult to do. You need to actually be able to, you need to have some kind of youth your system with guys coming through the pipeline and development, like the development of future guys. Like you need that as well as buying guys for the current team. Um, and I think we saw, I think we did a good job of that in the summer, but I think right now what's really important for us. Oh, go ahead, John. Jump. No, I, I, I agree with you as far as, you know, we've got to build a team for today and a team for tomorrow. And one is not mutually exclusive of the other. We should be thinking about both. Um, but when we come back to the fans' reaction, there were a lot of fans, evidently, chanting after this game, Levy out. Now, I honestly feel that that results from supporter ignorance than anything else. They're looking for a scapegoat. Conti's a great guy, so must be Levy's fault. Um, and, uh, you know, football support, I'm, I'm going to get into trouble with this, but for, for some football supporters over the world are not the brightest bulbs in the, in the, in the box. And, uh, and unfortunately, they are a majority. And so we've got people looking for excuses, people unhappy with the fact that we are in the place that we're in. And, oh, they're going to go support somebody else. Well, as far as I'm concerned, if that's how you feel, go support somebody else. Um, but, yeah, and then what happens is the press gets whips all this up. Oh, Levy out. Fans are saying Levy out. Well, so there's a small group of fans that probably don't represent all the fans that are yelling louder and therefore they're getting heard. Um, and that's that to me is a, is a frustration. Yep, Lucas? Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I think that for us going forward, one of the we're in a really tricky position. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of this like sky is falling reactions right now is. It seems like with the Conti uh, like contract stuff, whether or not he's going to resign. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion comes from, like with the supporters, because you want to know that you have some kind of project that we're building towards. So even if Conti's, if Conti was to come out and be like, yes, I signed a three-year deal. This is our plot. This is our project. This is how we're going to build going forward. And it might take a couple years. As long as he were, if that were to come out and be the case, I think we'd see a lot more like the support would be a lot or supporters would be a lot more calm about this process where it's just, I, I think we're so unsure as to whether or not, like even with new signings, well, are the new signings that we're bringing in going to be guys that are good for Conti's system? But what happens if Conti leaves? Now we got guys like if we bought if we bought a couple of wingbacks and then all of a sudden Conti's gone in the summer and we bought a couple of young wingbacks, we might have the new manager come in that doesn't use wingbacks. So it, it or we'll get situations like guys like Royale, where Royale was brought in to be a fullback under Nuno and then or even Regulon. Regulon was a more of a fullback as well. And. We get those guys in and all of a sudden now we have Antonio Conti and now those guys are useless. So it's just it's kind of interesting whether we're in a really awkward position where 
I think the most important thing we need to do is actually have Levy, Conti get on the same page and say, yes, I'm here for the long haul. No, I'm not. Or at least kind of get that ironed out. Hey, this is what we'll be willing to spend so that both parties are aware of their Paratici as well. Get him at the table and make sure all of these guys are at the same page, knowing this is what we can spend. This is how we want to spend. This is what we, we like. Yes, you're committed to our future. Get all of that ironed out now so that we can start taking steps in the right direction as opposed to this. I think for supporters, I think a lot of the frustration comes from the the fact that so much is unknown. And that yeah. leaves us the in a unknown. really scary it's position. All out of our hands. Go ahead, yeah. Doug. Well, I think Lucas makes an, uh, an excellent point about the contract. And of course, the other thing that always comes up when we discuss his contract is the fact that Pochettino is available and evidently is standing there waiting for his opportunity to come back to Spurs. Whether or not that has any truth in it doesn't matter. It's getting published in the papers. So uh, you've got dissent and churning up by the media again. And you're right, Lucas, it's caused by the fact that uh, Conte has not signed a contract extension. If he'd signed a contract extension, there would be no conjecture because he's going to be there. So that would shut that up as well. But it all comes down to what you were talking about, Lucas. Yeah, let's get him tied in if we're going to do that. Now, I don't know whether long term their plan was to just put Conte in for a year as a replacement for what's his name and then move on from there. Uh, nothing's been said. Uh, there's conjecture all over the place none of which i believe and so i think we will wait we'll wait to see if spurs continue to play like they did against um, aston villa they will tumble down the table conte will not be asked to renew his contract i think that that's he will lose the he'll lose the dressing room and that'll be that so maybe that's what management is waiting to see yeah, well, and I think like the like the Pochettino rumors, all that is is people in th- there was a good three years there where we really enjoyed watching Spurs, and people aren't enjoy enjoying watching what we've been watching lately. So it's it's nostalgia for that period, and and people that have only been supporting for a certain number of years. Like they're looking at that nostalgia for that period, like wow, that was exciting. Like we were, we were at the top of the table a couple of times. We we played exciting football. We beat some teams that were much better than us at times. And I can understand why that nostalgia appeal happens. And I think the media is feeding into it because they just they know fans are are unhappy right now. So now now let's drum up like that, but. I think Lucas is dead on. Like if, if Spurs commits to the project, Conte commits to the project and, and, and we know what direction we're going, I think that would make the difference. And it comes down to communication. And that probably does fall on Levy. Like uh, Levy doesn't talk to the press enough. Like if he, he came out and really st- said, this is what we're about. Like we're committed to Conte we're going to give him the pieces to the best of our financial ability to to do what he wants to do. Um, I think that a lot of this would go away. And and then Conte said, like, you know what, I'm going to re-up and I am committed to this as well. But uh, so much is up in the air. And, and now we're not even talking about transfers because, like, we just know we need to make 
subs, but we don't know what subs to make because we don't know whether Conte's sticking around. John? Yeah, well, Levy doesn't talk to the press because they twist and turn his words around, and I understand that. And quite honestly, I think if he were to come out and make a statement that uh, we support Conte 100% and he signed a new contract, the headline would be, Levy says he's going to support Conte. Is that true? Or something absurd like that. Um, because the fact that you know Levy said he's going to support Conte, it, it is not a headline. Is it true? Is a headline. Um, so, uh, yeah. Now, and just to to go back to Pochettino, just for a second, we didn't have the financial wherewithal to back him with the kind of players that we're backing Conte with. So, and he did very well, and we enjoyed playing under him. So, I think if you were to wipe the slate clean and say, okay, start the Conte's not there. Who are we going to hire? And we have this financial wherewithal in order to spend this amount of money on top of the squad we've got. Pochettino will be top of my list. And I think that's why there's conjecture. Uh, because, you know, I always believe where there's smoke, there's smoke. Um, so we'll see, you know, we will see how this goes out. But And we can conjecture all night and just like the newspapers are and not achieve anything. Luke, you had your hand up there. No, I just, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And I think that, uh, I think you make a good point about Levy too. He's in a situation where, I mean, everything, like if he were to come out and say, Levy could cure cancer tomorrow and then the headline would be like, Levy takes away job from cancer researchers or something. Yeah. Like it'd be like, <laughs> you just can't win with the media in and the anti-Levy agenda sometimes. So I think that's why you, you're right. I think he just stays out and says, just says as little as possible in terms of communication with us. And I think that's just one of the things that I understand where that comes from. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a product of the, it's a product of like the media nowadays, but I just think for the supporters, the lack of, the lack of communication in terms of from the club, at least to just tell us what, what the direction that we're going to be heading in is where we see most of our frustration. It's, it's, yeah. You know, well, especially yeah. when we see continued efforts, like we're seeing on the pitch right now, there's really not a lot for us to be excited about right now. And we're grasping at anything and trying to blame anything. And so it's, it's, I, I hope it's a pretty, it's a pretty troublesome time right now. So I, I'm really hoping that in the next couple of weeks we see, like some kind of small victory, whether it be a Conti contract announcement or a couple of new signs or something to get us a little bit back on the right track in terms of positivity around the club. Yeah, yeah well, you know, and, and in an absurd kind of way, maybe Harry and Meghan will take the press um, off of Levy and start concentrating on them. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's as ridiculous as that. Yeah, and and it's not even really worth talking about what players we're talking about now. I mean, earlier today there were rumors that uh, Pedro Porro was get, getting ready to sign on the line or whatever, or that we were serious about him. And then then later reports came out and said that he's he's not, and we don't know what we're doing right now. Um, 
we know that there's a lot of players that Spurs are interested in, but uh, uh, trying to tackle a, a transfer rumor conversation, I think it comes down to like you know, we need a sp- what direction Spurs are going in first, and uh, it, this might be a, uh, a disappointing window. I, I hate to say, but um, it feels like if we had like everybody in the same page going in the right direction, that we would have a. We knew this window was going to be good, and maybe they are behind the scenes, but the communication's not there, and they're letting the media uh, carry the narrative. Well, so, there's nothing much unusual in that, Anthony. Um, but no. what I will say is, you know, the first headline I will actually read is so and so signs for. Yeah, uh, Tottenham. We've been. I must. They must be working behind the scenes. They've talked about the, how much money they've got to spend in the January window, and that they are prepared it was to spend 30 it. Million though, wasn't it? I mean, that that was what they said that they were going to spend. This well, one? yeah, but it's, so if they said that earlier, why isn't it true now? I mean, we we haven't signed anybody. Oh, you know what? It's two days into the transfer window, no. um, and most people haven't been working those two days either. So. Um, give them a chance. I think they'll bring players in. Uh, I think we will then discuss if they're good signings or bad signings or good for now or bad for later or whatever. But uh, until then, um, and I could go back three weeks in the newspapers and find 10 different players that we're definitely going to sign. Or, yeah. and, and probably we won't sign any of them. Well, and, and we still have some players to move. Like, I think Ndabale could move this window. Um Finally, um, so we'll see, and that might open up some more money, both uh, both on the the player side and uh, the money through transfer. So we'll see we'll see what happens, uh, um, and we'll probably have more to say with next week's podcast, I'm sure. Uh, but we have two games to preview. Uh, we're going to do these kind of lightning. I I don't think we ha- have to spend a ton of time on these today. Uh, but the first one, so in the league this Wednesday, we take on uh, Crystal Palace, another away fixture. That's uh, January 4th. Uh, they're in 11th place in the league with 22 points. That's six wins, four draws, six losses. They did uh, win 2-0 to, away to Bournemouth this uh, on Boxing Day. Um, they, um, they've... Uh, they did four friendlies during the break. Uh, Zaha is their top goal scorer right now. Um, and we've had a mixed bag with them the last few times we faced them. Um, so uh, we did beat them most recently 3-0, but we lost them 3-0 the prior fixed engagement. So this team can be trouble for us, but uh, we could also handle them very well. How are you guys feeling on the back of uh, this past week's performance going into this Crystal Palace uh, with no Basuma, no, uh, and none of the injured players? Lucas? Well, I mean, that that last time in this, the it seems so long ago, but the this fixture last season was actually that 3-0 was the beginning of the end for Nuno, so that was still that was how long ago that was, was back in the Nuno era. But, um, yeah, with with Palace, you know, going to play Palace away is always a, it's always a tough environment. And especially it's going to be a night game. That place is going to be up for it. Selhurst Park's always a tough place to go. So I think, I just, I expect it to be very low scoring. Um, 
and probably put that out in the locks this week. But I just I think that for us we're gonna have to try and I think that this we're gonna have to try and create something or have to do something new that we haven't seen. Kind of like I mentioned in the first half, but but whether that be Conti starts like Spence or something or starts. Uh, Sar and Skip or something as a pairing in the middle. We're, we're going to have to try and go for something here if we're going to get three points. We're have to gonna go with something new that we haven't seen thus far because I, I don't expect us to come away with three points if we're going to be running out the same kind of scheme and starting 11 as we've had going forward in the last several games. John, go ahead and then go and roar it into your predictions after uh, your, your okay. Comments. Um, Lucas, earlier you said we really need something to kickstart this season. Um, that could be a decent strong win against Palace and a cup win against Portsmouth. So the eternal optimist in me says, OK, this is what it's going to be. This is going to be the catalyst to kick us further into into January with a good attitude. Um now, if we're going to take that opportunity, I don't know. But let's be the optimist and say that we do. So um, I don't think the fact that Crystal Palace beat Bournemouth is anything to go by. From what I've seen of Bournemouth lately, they um, are lacking in most things. And uh, uh, they've got to do something to, to start playing better or they'll be out of the league. So, yeah, they were able to beat a poor Bournemouth. Um, I think on... Uh, all things being equal, um, we will beat Palace 2-1. If we play the same way that we played against Villa, we will lose 3-1. So my prediction is a 2-1 win and that this is going to be the first of two games that are kickstart us and put us in the, you know, in the middle of January with two wins behind us and the win behind us and away we go. How about you, Lucas? Yeah, um... Again, I'm just I'm I'm less optimistic just because I mean, like I said, I'm like it's been now nine or ten games in a row that we've gone down one nil first. So I kind of expect that to be the case here. Um, so I think it's going to be one one. I think we'll probably get we'll have another slow first half, go down one nil at some point, and then hopefully we can at least come away with a point late and grab a goal at some point. So I'm going to say one one, and I'll say Kane goal. I like yeah. it. Um, I have a tough time predicting a win until I see us able look, looking like we're a winning team again. Um, so I'm going to say a 2-2 draw. Um, I still don't think we get a goal from Sun here. I think we get Kane probably gets one somehow or another. Um, and I think we get another one from like uh, uh, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say, say Brian Hill gets the other goal because uh, I think he's still going to keep getting minutes at this point with our injuries. And um, I don't think he's looked that bad, and I could see him pulling something out here. So I'm going to give the other one to Brian Hill. Um, let's move the conversation along. Well, hang on. I didn't I didn't say my goal scorers in a 2-1 win, and I'm going to go with Kane and Doherty. Oh, okay. Doherty. Good, okay. good predictions. Um, let's move the conversation along into the Portsmouth. So this weekend, the FA Cup. Now, FA Cup, like, uh, at the start of the season, I would say that this might be a good opportunity for, uh, silverware for us. Um, 
I think where we're feeling right now, and it's easy to get into this micro bubble of where, where Spurs are at. Um, it doesn't feel like that there's even a chance in hell that we could, uh, could come out a cup champion in anything this year. Um, but it's still feasible despite how bad we've been playing. And, and this is always a big tournament and this could be the way, like if we start to turn things around, this might be the way that, um, that Conte can get back into the faith of Spurs fans. And, and maybe we can show that there is something special going on here still, and that we have to get behind it and build. So I'm hoping that this might be a bit bigger. So, Portsmouth, uh, they're currently League One right now. They're 12th place in their league. They're not much uh, of a threat to us. Um, uh, Their only top goal scorer is Colby Bishop right now with 10, uh, but those are all League League One goals, of course. Uh, We won't see Dane Dane Scarlett in this because he cannot play in this competition. and we haven't really faced them since 2010, so uh, we don't have any reference points recently. Where, how are you guys feeling on this Portsmouth match? I think, John, you want, wanted to go first. Yeah, well, we've got a couple of things going for us in this, not least of which is Parrot can't play, as you say. The second thing is, uh, and, and I've been following Portsmouth uh, a little bit because of Parrot there. I've been following what's been going on, and they are a club in absolute disarray. There is rumor that the manager won't last the week. He may not be the manager when we play in the cup. Their performances lately have been woeful. Um, After a few weeks in the beginning of the season, they were right up there looking for promotion, playing very, very well. Since then, their performances have dived to uh, an appalling level. So they're playing rubbish football. And one of their most creative players, um, which Parrot has been, is not eligible because of his loan. Scarlet, right? Scarlet, I'm sorry. Yeah, Scarlet. Yes. Yeah, Scarlet, no. yeah, I, I get the Scarlet parrot uh, confused. But anyway, yes, Scarlet is un, in uneligible. So, uh, if we go back to my original thing, is we've got two games here to really kickstart stuff. Um, we take on Crystal Palace, we beat them, and then we take on uh, a Portsmouth side that really hasn't got anything going for it at the moment. Um, I'm going to predict a 5-0 win. I think that uh, th- they're in terrible shape, and no matter how bad we are, I think we're going to thump them. Um, I'll tell you who I think is going to score after we've heard from Lucas here. Yeah, go ahead, Lucas. Yeah, um, I think I, I kind of agree with with John there, and I think with Anthony, you had pointed out, you know, it's hard to look at the FA Cup right now and think that this is a potential trophy based on how we've been looking lately. But the nice thing about the FA Cup is it it often doesn't matter about your form or what kind of year you're having. Sometimes you could just get that lucky with the draw going in. I think it was, gosh, uh, was it 2016 or 17? I think it was when we had, we went to the semifinal and lost to United. Um, But it was, United was the first good team we were drawn against, and that was in the semifinal. The first it was it wasn't until the quarterfinal that we actually were drawn against a Premier League side, and it was ended up being Swansea. So it was it, sometimes you just do get a really magical draw going in your run-in, and you might have a couple of big heavy hitters get knocked out in front of you on the way, and you could walk. I get I get that '91 FA Cup that we won. I think we finished 10th that year. So that wasn't as if we were a world beating side that season. 
So it, it can just be favorable sometimes on the draw with the FA Cup. So hopefully we can get something like that going. I love that we got Portsmouth at home. I think that's a big thing for us just because of how the FA Cup, they talk always about the magic of the cup and how crazy things can get with upsets. And I think a big part of that is when those smaller teams are catch a bigger team at home. So I'm very happy that we were at least able to get drawn at home to Portsmouth. Um, but yeah, I think with the John said, this is a club in disarray. And I think this is a big opportunity for us to rotate some guys and get some, get some positive momentum built going forward. So I think we'll see a three nil win and I'll just go ahead and do the goal scorers now and then kick it back to you, John. But I think we'll see goals from, uh, son, Bentoncourt, and we'll say Skip gets one as well. Okay. What do you have for your goal scorers, John? Okay, I'm going to go Kane one, Perisic two, one own goal, and a goal by Hobier. Okay. Uh, I do think this will be a victory. Um, they haven't been performing. They haven't. Uh, you have to go back five matches for their last victory. Um, and I think that favors us at home, no matter who we play. Um, I'm going to say we win 4-1. Um, we get a goal from Kane, who will always plays. Uh, we get a goal from Sun, who uh, finally gets a goal in the competition again. Um, I think we get a goal from Oliver Skip. And I think we get a goal from Brian Hill again. I'm going to uh, give him another one. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up this podcast? I mean, there's a, a, a lot of talk and there's going to be a lot more to be said next week. Well, i got one thing that I just want to bring up that I think is going to be part of uh, what we're thinking about over the next couple of weeks. And that I, I think Kane is now four goals away from beating Jimmy Greaves' record as the number one goal scorer for Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, I was lucky enough to see Greaves play, and I've been very fortunate to see Kane as well. So we're going to be on a bit of a countdown. So if Kane gets a couple against Crystal Palace, um, there should be an additional buzz going around uh, the Spurs Stadium on Saturday to whether or not he can score that goal to break the record. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, Lucas? Yeah, I just I want to just quickly uh, jump in and say that remind people to I know it's hard to find things to be positive about at the moment, but, you know, it's this game is very cyclical and sometimes it can change week to week so quickly. So, I mean, last year we felt like we were on top of the world after we beat Man City away and everything was going. We felt like we were just moving in the right direction and then. Three days later, we got beat away at Burnley. So I'm like, this this type of stuff happens. You could be having the worst week ever, and things could be looking really grim. But then all of a sudden, we have a couple signings. We start putting some – we get some guys healthy, and we start going on a run. And next thing you know, by this time next month, we could be thinking that we're like competing for the title. So just remind everyone to just kind of don't panic and don't feel the need to – freak out on social media and fuel the negativity. So just try and stay as positive as you can. And hopefully by this time next week, we're talking about a couple of wins. Well, I think that that's a good place to wrap it up. So I'm Anthony. You can find me on Twitter on 
at Callahan42, K-A-L-I-H-A-N 42. Lucas, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as well. Jump by. I always just fire at questions. I'm always happy to talk Spurs. Uh, Lucas Ruski, L-U-C-A-S-R-U-S-K-E on Twitter. On all one word. And John, where can they find you? You can find me at home. Uh, I'm always <laughs> at home, sitting on the couch, uh, quite prepared to talk to anybody. Uh, I uh, I don't have a Twitter account. I do. I am on Facebook. If you want to find me, John Howard on uh, on Facebook. But uh, yeah, most of the time, best way to find me is at home. Okay, great. Well, that's a good place to wrap it up. So thanks so much to Tommy for editing tonight, Charlie for the music, Sam for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and as always, the Atlantic. Uh, find us on our many platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. Hit the subscribe button and write us a review on those platforms or give us a review wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook at 4 Spurs and our website at 4starspurs.com. Come on, you Spurs.